Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can open up to page 1329 in the Pew Bible. 1329 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, we'd love for you to just hang on to it. If you don't have a Bible, that's yours, and uh, that's uh, with love from First Baptist Church. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word, and uh, if, you, if you say, you know what, I, I, would, I don't feel comfortable carrying a pew Bible around everywhere I go, just come let me know if you need a Bible. We'll make sure you have a Bible, and uh, we'll take care of it. We want everyone to have access to God's Word, so if you need a Bible, uh, we'll get you one. Just let us know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, and uh, if you're opened up there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds by your grace today to receive your word. And Father, my prayer is that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, when our oldest daughter, Watts, was just a little bitty thing, we were riding down uh, Highway 77 on, on our way to take her to preschool, and uh, the, the, the downtown path was closed at that point, so we had to go around and come down 77, and on the right there is a, a, a cemetery as you're driving down the road. And one morning, we're riding by and little Watsy in the back says, Daddy, what is that thing over there? And uh, wouldn't it be nice to live in a world in which you didn't know what a cemetery was again at some point? You know, wouldn't that be nice? But anyway, he said, what is that over there with all that stuff? And I said, that is a, a cemetery. And I explained to her what a cemetery was and, and that, that when people die, that's where we bury their bodies and, and had a, what I felt like was a good opportunity to begin shaping her little heart to understand the gospel and, and, and sharing with her that, that we believe Jesus can raise people from the dead. And she was like, okay, well, I, I don't want to talk about that anymore. And I said, um, okay. Well, the next day we're riding by it again. And 
and uh, she's little and had blocked it out from her memory, I, I guess, and had forgotten what I told her it was. As we rode by the next day, she said, Dad, what in the world is that thing over there with all those flowers, all that stuff over there? What is that? I said, well, sweetheart, that's a, a cemetery. And before I could finish ex- explaining, she interrupted me and said, oh, no, not that again. not that again what happens when we die isn't that isn't that something we all wonder about and and isn't the reality of death something that bothers all of us it, it just instinctively we recognize death is not a good thing and and that's a biblical thought i'll never forget one time uh when i was in seminary a, a co-worker of mine was talking about the death of a loved one he said well you know that's just part of life death's just part of life and i said i know what you mean by that but did you know that that the bible teaches that death's not part of life that god made us to live and that death is unnatural and he said i it blew his mind you know that i, that I would say that as death's not part of life it's become part of life because of sin but god didn't make us that way this is not the way the, lo- the world was supposed to be and if you think you've got a problem with death you should meet my friend jesus of nazareth who uh, the bible says his last enemy to be defeated is death right I look forward to the day when death is finally and fully put under the foot of Christ. But, but, but until then, I've decided a long time ago as a young pastor, I, I'm not going to make peace with death. Jesus has it, and I'm not going to either. What happens when we die? It, it haunts us in so many ways. It bothers us. It's something we, we, we evaluate regularly. And, and each and every one of us, at, at every, some point in our lives, will be faced with our own mortality. You will die if the Lord tarries. For some, the answer they've arrived at is nothing. And, and we wonder why um, happiness is declining in a world that's built for people to be happy. Our country is one big playground for fun. You have more entertainment, more options available to you than anyone in the history of the world. And yet, if you look at the statistics, people are not happier. In fact, if anything, people are getting less and less happy. We wonder why. Perhaps it's because as we are amusing ourselves to death, we've lost a cultural or a collective understanding of purpose and meaning. And so more and more people are arriving that this is it. That beyond my little speck of time on this earth, there's a great and vast chasm of nothingness. That eventually wears down on a person, especially when you're built by God to know that there's more than this. It's a recipe for misery. For others, some, some they've arrived at the answer of nothing happens when you die. That's it. Others have a view of a purely spiritual future we'll meet god whatever that might be it's not much different from the the buddhist concept of nirvana we'll just join in with the light or 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 something along those lines and even then believers especially the believers i know at least are wrestling with the idea of what exactly the bible teaches on heaven and the resurrection we confess certainly that we believe in the resurrection of the dead but then we're also wrestling a lot of times okay well what does that mean today if we believe god is going to raise bodies one day what does that mean if i die right now 
in this passage, I think Paul succinctly gives us a picture of the way that our belief about what happens next ought to drive the way we live daily. Have y'all ever heard that phrase, somebody say, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? And uh, have y'all ever heard that before? I've heard that. And, and my answer to that is someone who's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, it's not that they're too heavenly minded, it's, not that, it's that they're not heavenly minded enough. The great uh, Scottish pastor Robert uh, Murray McShane said, you will be incomplete Christians if you do not look for the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think in so many ways what we've done is we've forced ourselves into living in a world where either death is our only hope to go and be with Jesus or we don't think about death at all. Yet what the Bible tells us about the future and about what awaits us as believers, what the Bible teaches about the afterlife ought to drive how we act, how we behave, how we live every single day of our lives that is God is giving us by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gospel God is giving us a courageous faith for a glorious future in light of the fear and uncertainty that is present in this world surrounding death no, no, no matter what you're going through right now God will give you through Jesus Christ a courageous faith for a glorious future, no matter what fear and uncertainty surrounds you in the world today. In fact, if you look, there are kind of bookend verses that help us understand what Paul's driving at here. In chapter 4, verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart. And then in chapter 5, verse 6, so we are always of good courage. In other words, throughout the Bible, one of the most repeated commands in the scriptures, I think I heard someone say the other day, it is the most repeated command in scripture but then i heard someone else say that be happy is the most repeated uh rejoice and be joyful and be happy is the most repeated command in scripture nonetheless if those are the two, if these are the two we're talking about be joyful and fear not gives us a really idea about what it is that god is about in our lives he doesn't want us to be anxious he doesn't want us to be fearful he doesn't want us to lose heart he wants us to be of good courage and so this morning i i want to show you three truths concerning courageous faith for a glorious future three, three truths that will help you develop courageous faith for a glorious future this morning here's the first resurrection hope gives us courageous faith resurrection hope gives us courageous faith for we know verse one that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed we have a building from god a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life we are clay pots we hold this treasure in clay pots the bible says the the world is withering around us what we face a future where we know this won't last 
forever. And so how can we be courageous today? Resurrection hope is the answer. Here, I think what Paul's talking about is the resurrection of the body. I think Paul is arguing here that what we are finding hope in, and and, and then he goes on and and roots this in we are always of good courage in verse 6. And so I think what Paul is saying is this belief in the resurrection of the body, in a future glorious resurrected body, that that Christ will make all things right in your very body, I, I think is central to Paul's thesis here when he's arguing that we ought to be of good courage, that we ought to have courageous faith why do i think paul's talking about the body because he it seems right it seems like he's talking about the house that's being prepared for us but i want to argue here that he's actually talking about the resurrection body for we know he says in verse one that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed we have a building from god a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens I, i would argue that the tent that Paul's talking about here is our body, our physical body that we are in right now. In this tent we groan, the tent that is our earthly home. I, I, I think it's clear that he's talking about this. In fact, uh, this word that Paul uses for tent, the only other place it's used in the New Testament, it's used to talk about our body. And so, so this is language that we can use to talk about a, a, a body. And then I would argue then that a house not made with hands is our resurrection body. Now, let me just show you a few things Paul says here that would be odd if it wasn't. First of all, he says, We know if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to what? To put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found Naked. Do you see how, how this is talking about a, a sort of personal experience? We, we don't typically wear our house, and, and we don't wear our tent. And so I think Paul is using a, a, an analogy here between a, a tent and a home, that which is temporary and that which is permanent. And, and I think when he talks about being found naked, what, what he's talking about is, is being just a spirit with no body, no, no physical existence at all. He says, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. That is, when Jesus returns, we are no longer in this mortal body, in this tent, but we are in the house made by heavenly hands. We are in a new body. He says, we are further clothed. Do you hear that? Do you see that? For in this tent we grown longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed and then he goes on to say so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life in other words it it seems that there's a picture here of at the resurrection this body being swallowed up by life this body being transformed this body being made glorious by the resurrection What is mortal is swallowed up by life. In other words, brothers and sisters, our hope is not just that our spirit will go to be with God. So often that's how we present the future hope of Christians. But instead, we hope that God will make our body whole one day. That we will have a body like Christ, a glorious resurrection 
body. You see, Paul talks like this in another section of the Bible. If you were to go to Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul would say something very similar to what we read last week in, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re- revealed to us. That's very similar to chapter 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul's got similar ideas there in Romans 8 and in this section of 2 Corinthians. And so he goes on from Romans chapter 8, verse 18, down into Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, and listen to what he says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's this groaning language. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have what? The first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons what the redemption of our bodies here paul is pointing us toward resurrection hope and and i want to go to great lengths to demonstrate this to you because it's so important in the scriptures that our hope is in the resurrection in other words paul then goes on to say we are always of good courage and why is that we are always of good courage because of the hope we have in the resurrection we we have to let this truth frame our lives To paraphrase Tolkien, this truth tells us something so beautiful that everything sad is coming untrue. Everything sad is coming untrue. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Great Divorce. The the, the narrator there says, They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. In other words, brothers and sisters, resurrection hope lets us know that even in this life as our bodies fade, even in this life as the world withers, we look forward to the fact that Jesus will make us whole. And so the next time you stand around the hospital bed of a loved one, I want you to remember this truth. That though in this life, though in this life, We find sickness, we find difficulty, we find even death. Jesus will give us a new body. Jesus will make us eternal. We we must have resurrection hope, and that's what gives us courageous faith today. You see, it transforms the way we live. the, The fact that God can make us whole again transforms the way we live. In fact, if you stop and think about it, the scariest things you can imagine are things that would happen to your body. Things that would happen to you that would undo who you are. Any of y'all afraid of snakes? Yeah, me too. I don't like snakes. I'm not a fan of snakes. Why are you afraid of snakes? Because of what they'll do to your body. Right? You're not afraid. You're not afraid of the psychological torture from a snake. Right? You're afraid it'll bite you and it'll hurt and that it may be a venomous snake that could kill you that's what we're afraid of those are the things that make us so fearful and if you stop and think about it that's ultimately what all our fears are rooted in will i be taken care of or not and we serve a god who promises that no matter how bad things get in this life there is a life that is to come where he will make all things right and it's not just some theoretical spiritual world off in the distance it is the transformation of the world we live in now 
that which is mortal will be made immortal. It'll be swallowed up in life. Let resurrection hope give you courageous faith. But second of all, remember this. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives us courageous faith. The the indwelling Spirit gives us courageous faith. You may say to me now, Pastor, that sounds great. Resurrection hope is great, but right now, at this very moment, I'm struggling so much to have faith in something that seems so far off in the future. Right, right now, I, I, in fact, Pastor, I, you might say I'm so depressed and I'm struggling so much that I have a hard time even opening my Bible to remind myself of these truths. I'm struggling with this objectivity. Well, brothers and sisters, the good news is, even though there's so much good news that we can and we must objectively know, we, we must fix our minds and fix our hearts on the objective truth of the gospel. How, however, we also have, even now, for the believer, the subjective, the inward, the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The one who has prepared us for this through the gospel and regeneration is God. That is, you have been and you are being prepared for life in God's kingdom. You are being prepared, even now, believer, for resurrection life. I think it's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians when he says, Do you not know that you'll judge angels? Do you not know what you're being formed into? Do you not know what God is at work in doing and how that ought to impact your life? And the Bible says God has prepared you for this. In fact, if I were to just sum up the Bible's summons to living like Christ, the the New Testament command to holiness, if I were to sum it up, it would be these three words. Live like it. You're adopted by God. Live like it. You're forgiven of your sins. Live like it. You're promised a glorious future. Live like it. You've been prepared by God for this. Live like it. But you know what? That's bad news for you, isn't it? Because living like it's hard, right? Living like it's hard. It's like, you know, you look in the mirror, and I look in the mirror and I think, you need to lose weight. Live like it. That's two different sentences, isn't it? I've lived like it some, but I need to continue living like it better, right? And so we're not just told, live like it, right? In fact, what does the Bible say? You have been prepared for God. You've been adopted. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've been promised a glorious future. You've been prepared by God. And what does he say? He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit. 
Living like it's a lot easier when you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and creating in you this life of faith. You see, we have God who is so gracious, who has given us the Spirit, who is presently at work in our hearts to help us live like what we've been called to, to help us live out the preparation that God has given us. And the Bible says the Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee. That is, that right now, if you find yourself struggling to believe in something that seems very far off, struggling to live like something that seems so distant from the difficulties you're going through, if you find yourself struggling to believe and to trust God, you've been given a guarantee. And like Bunyan's great character Christian, I want you to reach inside your pocket I want you to reach inside the pocket of your heart and I want you to feel and feel that guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Be reminded of what the Spirit is doing in your heart and your life. He's been given it as a guarantee. And when we falter, when we struggle, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of God's faithfulness in the future. The peace and comfort and hope and joy that you're given by the Spirit is a guarantee of God's faithfulness in the future. The sanctification that you've been given in your life as a Christian, as a work of the Holy Spirit, is a guarantee of God's faithfulness in the future. The simple everyday work of the Spirit is a reminder that He who has promised is faithful. And that leads us to our last point. God's presence gives us courageous faith. Resurrection hope gives us courageous faith. The indwelling spirit gives us courageous faith. And finally, God's presence gives us courageous faith. Pastor, I, I, I've got the Holy Spirit in my heart, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I, I know He's a guarantee of the resurrection, and I've got resurrection hope. I believe you've convinced me from the Scriptures. I, I believe I'm going to raise from the dead one day, but what if I die right now? What, what if I die today? God's presence, brothers and sisters, gives us courageous faith even in death. We are always of good courage, Paul says in verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That is, right now we have the Holy Spirit, but we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't see God face to face like we will one day. We struggle to live out a life of holiness and to trust God and to not be afraid because we are not in the presence of God like we wish we were. Now, sometimes we get a foretaste of the presence of God. And we certainly have the indwelling spirit who who helps bolster our faith and, and look forward in trusting in God. But at the same time, we are not in the presence of God like we want to be. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim please him as the great king james translation said to be absent from the body and present with the lord while we wait and while we long for the resurrection of the dead we recognize that those who sleep in christ right now are immediately brought into the very presence of god and 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 we await when we die in the very presence of god god making all things right and all things 
new. We are sustained by faith that even if we die now, ahead of the resurrection, we will be in the presence of God in a uniquely better way than we are now. We will be comforted by God. We will be brought to God where God is. To be at home in the body is to be away from the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present for the Lord. And this motivates us to live a life that is pleasing to God in verse 9. And it gives us courageous faith for what awaits us after this life is over. For the Bible says one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Our faith, I believe, will be tested. I I don't believe that means that, that... What you've done, good or evil in the body, determines whether you go to heaven or not. That's not what the judgment seat of Christ is for in this context. Obviously, we only go to heaven by faith. But will that faith produce in your life good works? Our faith will be tested. And and at the judgment seat of Christ, a believer will be asked, has your faith produced what it should have produced? But Paul is defining what it is we ought to be afraid of in death. We ought to be afraid. There's only one scary thing in the whole universe, and that's God. That's why Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the only way God's not scary is if you know Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And so I ask ask you this question today, and I encourage you to ask yourself this question today. What sort of falling will your falling be when you fall into the hands of the living God? Will it be falling into his hands of grace or will it be falling falling into his hands of judgment? The difference lies in whether or not you've put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. When we die, when we die, we will meet the Lord. My question is on that day, where will your trust be? Where will your faith be? When you go to see the Lord, what sort of judgment will you face? My hope and my prayer is that you will have put your trust and your faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. You see, you may not be afraid when you ride by the cemetery. You may be, but you may not be. But I know that each and every one of us here at some point or another has or will have fear and trepidation when it comes to death. My hope and my prayer is that you will have courageous faith that's rooted in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, trusting God that no matter what happens, He is able to make your body whole again. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, I hope and pray that you would do that today. I believe if you'll turn from your sins... In repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, I believe you will be saved. And second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I just need some time to pray. This altar will be open for you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the promise we have that though we may be absent from this body, we will be present with you. And yet, Lord, we long for the day when you would return. 
God, that we would not be found naked, so to speak, but that, God, we pray you would return so that immediately, God, what is mortal could be swallowed up in life through Christ. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for this hope. And God, we pray that you would move in our presence even now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.